This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We have long known Battle Creek, Michigan to be famous for really one thing. It is the birthplace and headquarters of one of the iconic cereal brands, Kellogg's. But the story behind the success is an all-too-familiar one. There was quite a bit of fighting between the brothers that brought that company, uh, those company ideas forward, uh, John and Will Kellogg. Howard Markell is director of the Center for History of, uh, History of Medicine and professor at the University of Michigan. He looks at the pair in the new book, The Kellogg's, The Battling Brothers of Battle Creek. And Dr. Markell joins us on the show right now. Howard, great to have you with us today. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And and, and getting into this, I mean, I would normally be wondering why a professor that is involved in medicine would be interested by this story. But for those people that don't don't know, one of the brothers, John, uh, was a very famous physician. In his lifetime. Yeah, he was one of the most famous physicians of his time. He was a best-selling author. He edited a magazine that was read by millions around the world. And, of course, he ran the Battle Creek Sanitarium, which was a world-famous medical spa, grand hotel, and medical center, up-to-date medical center, that uh, thousands of people came to, flocked to, every year. So his success in that area really, to a degree, I would think, uh, uh, brought forth an extra layer of of importance when he and his brother decided to to kind of get into the realm of uh, of producing these foods. Absolutely, uh, one of uh, the doctor's great interests was in the digestive tract, and you know he saw a great many patients with upset stomachs, ulcers, what was then called dyspepsia, what Walt Whitman called the great American stomach ache. And little wonder if you look at what Americans ate in the late 19th century, a lot of animal fat, heavy, greasy, fried foods, uh, creamed vegetables, pickles, spicy condiments, and so on. No wonder everyone had a stomach ache. And so these people, these Uh, very worried well, uh, came to the doctor for digestive advice. And cereal was really a byproduct of his whole philosophy of health. You know, the the doctor prescribed what we would call today wellness. He called it biologic living. Some of it was based on his religion, Seventh-day Adventism. But the idea was eating a whole grain and vegetable diet, exercise and the like. But he developed cereal, uh, first wheat flakes and then corn flakes, as an easily digestible meal. And so then it ends up being his brother, Will, uh, who sees this being a success and sees this as a potential marketing idea, correct? Absolutely. So the doctor was the showboat, you know, the brilliant doctor that people wanted to see. But Will ran that sanitarium. He was the chief of staff, if you will, without title, for nearly 25 years. So he was a great businessman. And he was also right there experimenting with his doctor, with the doctor, because, you know, it took thousands of tries to get the right formula for cornflakes. And he saw right away that, you know, there are a lot more healthy people who just want to have a healthy, nutritious breakfast than sick people who want an easily digestible one. So it was his brilliant Eureka-like moment that led to him leaving the doctor's employ and creating, uh, first it was called the Battle Creek Toasted Cornflake Company. We know it today as Kellogg's. So uh, the relationship between the brothers is is part of the story here, and the fact that they did not really see eye-to-eye on a variety of different fronts. Absolutely. The doctor was eight years older than Will, and he uh, humiliated and and browbeated his brother 
for their entire lives. Now, when they were kids, it was physical and taunting and such. But even when they worked together, the doctor treated him like a lackey. He paid him very poorly. He humiliated him in front of uh, the guests. For example, the doctor was so busy, he would ride his bike across the campus while Will would run and huff and puff while (laughs) while he took notes. (laughs) So he wouldn't, you know, so the doctor wouldn't miss a stitch on his great ideas. And... um, so so they didn't have a great relationship and then you know when the when Will left the company and started being successful the doctor started making his own cereal and that took away from Will's brand so he actually sued the doctor and that lawsuit you know one sued the other and the other sued the other it went all the way to the state supreme court over the issue of who had the right to use the name Kellogg on a box of cereal and the doctor thought, well, you know, I'm I'm the world famous doctor. I'm the digestive guru. It's me. And Will right. said, hey, wait a minute. You know, I spend millions of dollars advertising Kellogg's cornflakes. They think of me. And and guess what? Will won. <laughs> and this was and this was uh, uh, legal battles that went on for for many years. Uh, correct? Yeah, almost a decade. Almost a decade. Yeah. We are talking with uh, Howard Markell uh, from the University of Michigan about his uh, new book, The Kellogg's, The Battling Brothers of Battle Creek. He joins us. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. When Will gets this, this company started, how successful was he right out of the gate? He was successful beyond his wildest dreams. You know, he said to some of his early investors, you know, I I sort of feel it in my bones. Uh, This was his great creation, Corn Flakes. And uh, very quickly, within a few years, they were just uh, uh, shipping out, you know, uh, carload after carload on the trains uh, of Corn Flakes to the hinterlands. Uh, You know, in 1906, you have to imagine, you know, how difficult it was for a mother to make breakfast, you know, frying up bacon and making eggs or, or what have you. And you had wood-burning stoves. They had to stoke the fire. Now, after 1906, you could just pour breakfast out of a box. So even Dad could make breakfast. It was just (laughs) utterly incredible. It was one of the great modern inventions of the early 20th century. Well, not only the the effort that went into making breakfast, but the, the, the content that was being uh, consumed by people, that kind of went against the the healthy nature, the healthy philosophy that that John really had uh, had had in his lifestyle growing up. Absolutely, and uh, it was not the grain healthy grain diet. You were eating a lot of cured salted meats or potatoes fried in the you know congealed fat from last night's meal. Uh, uh, it just wasn't a, what we would call a healthy uh, a breakfast by any stretch, and uh, this was and. So and it was and it was sold that way. It was sold directly to mothers and of course their children. You know, Will came up with the first toy in the box. It was a coloring book that came out in 1909, and he found that the coloring book took up a lot of space in the box. Right. It was a lot cheaper than adding the extra cornflakes. So uh, it was just a brilliant idea all around. As they went along, I mean, did they start? When did they start to develop the other types of, of cereals uh, that obviously would ultimately make this company very famous? 
Well, right away, uh, Will developed not only cornflakes, but a few years later, Rice Krispies. He learned how to pop rice the way we now know it's at Snap, Crackle, and Pop. He actually stole the recipe for shredded wheat and came up with Kellogg's shredded wheat. Right. Uh, that was a different lawsuit, by the way. And then, of course, uh, the doctor came up with all these bran cereals that Will stole from the doctor, and uh, because you, it was very easy to steal a, a cereal recipe, uh, even if it's patented. All you have to do is change one tiny little step. So Will right. sold all bran and bran crumbles and things like that. But the other cereals that we know uh, Kellogg's for, you know, um, sugar frosted flakes and sugar pops and sugar smacks, those all came to be after Will uh, retired, and in fact after he died. We're talking with uh, Howard Markell of the University of Michigan. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We're talking about the history of the uh, the Kellogg's company, uh, the brothers which really got it started, John and Will. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. I guess, and I, I said it at the top, but it, it was truly the case moving along there how important battle creek was to this industry to the cereal industry for quite some time i think you note that there were what dozens of 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 cereal companies that were in and around battle creek at one period of time yeah at what point in the early 1900s there were over 100 different companies now a Mm -hmm. lot of them are fly-by-night companies or were successful for a few years and unless you're a historian like me you would never know the names of these cereals Uh, one of my favorite was called Maple Flakes. So even in the early <laughs> 1900s, they had maple syrup impregnated flakes. And then, of course, there was C.W. Post. And uh, Charlie Post was a patient at the doctor's Battle Creek Sanitarium. He couldn't pay his room and board, so instead he worked it off by working in the kitchen, <laughs> and he stole some of their most famous recipes. Uh, what about the remainder of the family, the, the, the Kellogg family, watching this back and forth? between John and Will go on. What, what was their reaction to all of this? Well, it was very toxic, and the other family members, particularly uh, John and Will's uh, sisters and brothers, didn't know which way to turn. These were both very powerful men, and they did not want to uh, curry their disfavor in any way. Now, John Harvey and his wife, Ella, had 42 adopted children. They never had their own children. In fact, many people believe they never even consummated their marriage. Uh, Will had uh, three children, two boys and a girl, and while he was quiet about his complaints about his brother, they knew very well about this battle, and uh, it did not have a good effect. And Will, of course, uh, had an inferiority complex the size of Rhode Island. Despite his great success, you know, he was the Bill Gates of processed food. Yeah. And I use that name decidedly not just because of his success as an industrialist, but also because of his success as a philanthropist. The W.K. Kellogg Foundation is about a $9 billion foundation and does remarkable work to this day. But he was very uh, had a very infer- a great infer- sorry a great inferiority complex and was never terribly happy. He was very domineering. And when he died, his grandson wrote 
nobody really shed a tear, which to me was one of the saddest stories ever to come out of Battle Creek. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DamLoney21. I guess, I, I guess Howard, it wasn't a surprise that, that when Will had the success that he did uh, with uh, the, the early company, that Howard would want to get into the business. And as you mentioned, uh, they went in a, a long period of time with a court case. And if memory serves me, uh, you mentioned that, I, I guess, in the end, all he could do was have a small notification on his boxes of cereal of who he was and, and I guess, his relationship to his brother and the other company. Yeah, the, the settlement was almost like a, a, a commentary from the Talmud. You know, you could put it in tiny little writing on the back flap, on the bottom of the box. And, you know, the, the doctor still came up with many, many health. He invented many health foods beyond flake cereal. Uh, he was one of the early users of psyllium. We know it now as Metamucil. Yeah. He was one of the early developers of soy milk and probiotics, acidophilus. And, of course, as I mentioned, brand cereals were a big deal for him because it wasn't just digestive health per se. He was a big fan of regularity, uh, and he wanted him, he, not only himself but his patients to have four to five bowel movements a day, just like the gorillas he studied in the zoos hmm. who ate a high brand and diet, and he felt were very happy about it. <laughs> what ended up being the relationship between John and Will after uh, after the court case played out? Well, it was never good to begin with, but right. they rarely spoke to one another, and in fact, it was quite horrible. Their last face-to-face -face meeting was a terrible argument, and uh, John died only a few months later. And so it, it's really quite sad. John did try to make amends, but Will would have none of it. And uh, uh, they both went to their graves, I think, very sad about uh, how acidic this relationship became and was. Talk for a moment about, about his, uh, his strength and his belief. Uh, you mentioned uh, with his uh, uh, linkage to the Seventh-day Adventist Church and, and how that really kind of played into his entire lifestyle. Well, you know, uh, Battle Creek was also the center for the Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, right. in its early years. It was the Vatican of the Church. And John Harvey was picked very early as a young boy by the co-founders of the Church, James and Ellen White, to be uh, their fair-haired boy. And they groomed him to run the health uh, part of their denomination. Now, Seventh-day Adventism had uh, a, a big part of its uh, preaching was called health reform, the idea that you would eat a healthy diet, that you would exercise, that you would not use alcohol or tobacco uh, or even caffeine. And so health reform was a big part of their uh, belief system, uh, as well as the second coming of Christ and the Advent. But um, they sent John Harvey to medical school so they could he could run what became the Battle Creek Sanitarium, which was originally a Seventh-day Adventist uh, uh, shop, so to speak. Right. So uh, the doctor used his Christian beliefs uh, throughout his life, even though he was later excommunicated from the church because he, quote, got too big for his britches. But he then later shaped and shoehorned every new scientific theory and, and fact that worked with his worldview to buttress his belief in what he called biologic living and we would call wellness today. But they, but his beliefs really, uh, from what I read, uh, really played against the White family in the end, correct? Well, 
it wasn't so much his beliefs uh, as much as his well, headstrong uh, behavior. Right, he wanted right. to run the sanitarium right. his way. They wanted to run it their way. The sanitarium made a ton of money, none of which went into John Harvey's pocket, but he wanted it to funnel all back into his various programs. Right. And the uh, church elders wanted it to funnel into their programs. So it became of an issue, a very old one in business, as who is the boss? <laughs> and the sanitarium... Uh, what happened to that after uh, after Will left uh, to go uh, open up the cereal company? Well, it, for a while it did not run nearly as well, but then it got back on its feet, and it ran rather well until the Great Depression. Uh, by that time, uh, Dr. Kellogg was near retirement, and those who took over uh, overextended themselves by building a 15-story tower, a patient tower, and a lot of luxurious amenities. And, you know, the Depression struck, and they couldn't pay their mortgage. And the sanitarium went into receivership, and finally, in the, the mid-40s, 1943, the physical plant of the Battle Creek Sanitarium was sold to the federal government. It was a uh, hospital, a rehab hospital for, for vets who were injured. It was called the Percy Jones Hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob Dole, the senator, uh, uh, recuperated there. And it now, it's still there in Battle Creek, but it's a federal center, and it's filled with bureaucrats rather than uh, ailing patients. How is, how is John viewed as uh, now as a medical uh, piece of medical history uh, in terms of, you know, all of these different uh, ideas that, that he uh, thought. I saw a couple of uh, lines about, you know, he necessarily wasn't correct on the science end of it, but he ended up being correct in the overall philosophy in the end. Yeah, I mean, his ideas about preventive medicine and diet, nutrition, uh, even though he wasn't always right with the science, he was history has proven him correct. He took a couple of bad turns along the way that are problematic. He believed in eugenics, like a lot of white Anglo-Saxon Protestant men and women in the United States of that era, and he actively funded it and participated in many conferences and the like. He also was, you know, a very chaste man, and he was very opposed to sex outside the marriage and yeah. even masturbation, and so he gets a lot of, a lot of people make fun of him, but, you know, you have to remember, sexuality at the turn of the last century uh, was looked upon very, very differently and spoken and, about very, very differently and, than we do today. And how long did, how long did his serial company last uh, and what ended up being the the end result of, of him trying to go against his brother well he the Battle Creek Food Company which sold you know 60 odd different products uh, including flaked uh, cereals and flaked rice cereals and so on lasted until his death in 1943 and then the whole estate yeah. was all kitten caboodle was put into his foundation which was called the foundation for race betterment it was a eugenics uh, uh, foundation which uh, sputtered along and was actually raided by the people who were the trustees and misused and finally all the money was squandered by the early 1960s I, I, when you do stories like this from a historical perspective and especially when it's a com when it's a company that has had the level of success th there's a somewhat natural want to think about what this type of relationship, what would have played out if if these two gentlemen were running the company today. And, and I'll pose that to you. What what I mean, obviously, their relationship was so bad that it, it probably would have ended up very similarly, I would think. Well, in some ways, um, you know, John Harvey sold out uh, his interest, uh, his part of the what became Kellogg's 
right right off the bat. Yeah. So uh, he may still have sniped and, and bothered Will, but Will became very good at uh, lawsuits and, and winning. He became uh, quite the billionaire <laughs> yeah. with, all, with all that that means. Um, but I think one thing Will might have been upset with was the uh, uh, amount of sugar and uh, snack sure. food uh, ization of, of, of the the processed food industry. Um, I think he was always about nutrition, convenience, and a good price for a good meal. That was his main goal. So he might have a few problems, I think, with, uh, you know, sugar-frosted flakes and the like. Well, yeah, because, I mean, they're what they were trying to do in the first place was, was very noble in terms of trying to help a variety of people that were, were dealing with all kinds of different medical issues back in the day. Exactly, exactly. And it was, uh, you know, uh, one of the reasons the doctor didn't want to patent the cereals was that he said, I'm a doctor. This is for the benefit of all mankind. It's one of my creations, and I want people to eat well. And they thought, by the way, that this easy digestibility and so on was a good thing. And in a way it is right. if you have a bad stomach. But we now know that a bowl of cornflakes has what what doctors call a high glycemic index. That means you start breaking it down into a simple sugar almost immediately as you're chewing. Uh, and that will raise your blood sugar very high, and then your pancreas will secrete insulin so that it will go very high, and then both will bottom out, and you'll be hungry two hours later, long before lunch. We now know that a low glycemic index cereal, like oatmeal, is probably a better way to go for breakfast because it makes you feel full longer uh, until lunch rolls around. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to join in. And your comments, we're talking with Howard Markell, who is the author of the book, The Kellogg's, The Battling Brothers of Battle Creek. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. If you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You know, it's funny you mentioned you mentioned the old marketing line, the, the snap, crackle, and pop. Uh, that that truly is, to a degree, that's that's how you symbolize the relationship that these two gentlemen had. <laughs> yeah, you really do. You really do. And it also brings up another brilliant point uh, on Will's watch. For a long time, he would license cartoon characters to sell his products, you know, Disney characters and comic strip characters. And then the Kellogg Company, working with the Leo Burnett Agency, the famous ad agency in Chicago, they decided, let's make up our own cartoon characters. And, of course, who doesn't know Tony the Tiger or Snap, Crackle, and Pop or Cornelius the Rooster and so on? Great to have you with us today. Thank you, Howard. It's a, it's a very entertaining book. Thank you so much. been a pleasure. To Appreciate be the time. All the best. Uh, the book, by the way, is The Kellogg's, The Battling Brothers of Battle Creek. It is available uh, out uh, in bookstores and online right now. You pick it up. It's a great story. Um, hey, it's not the first company to have uh, brothers as owners, and they just don't see eye to eye, uh, but it is a very entertaining book. Great to have him uh, joining us on the show. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.com. Dot upenn.edu. Dot